we have family fun day at Southern Hills Farms. So the kids are off school that day. I, I didn't know why we were giving them off for Halloween. Apparently it's a hurricane day. The kids are off. So you can take time and go and do the family fun day because we can't do trunk or treat this, this year. Bummer. We can't do it this year because of COVID. So we're doing a family fun day over at the farm from 9 to 12. It costs us $5 per person. You can just register online. That will sell out. So you need to go register if you're going to do that with us October 30th on Friday. And then, you know, one of the most important relationships is the marriage relationship. And there's a workshop that we're doing starting on Thursday, October 29th from 7 to 8.30 p.m. It's called Prepare and Enrich. And our own Bill Malott is the only certified trainer in all of Central Orlando to do this. And it is an awesome, awesome thing that you can do for your marriage and put some energy into that. And then the last thing I have for you, though, is just to say thank you for those that are giving and helping us keep these doors open. We can't pass the bucket anymore, but we got three different ways for you to give. You can download the, the MyWell Giving app. You can go to kensingtonorlando.org giving, or you can just old school bucket, drop it in the bucket on the way out as you go. So today we are in week two of politics, and um, let me just say it's going to be a bumpy ride, so buck, buckle up, buttercup. As a child, you would wait and watch from far away, but you always knew that you'd be the one that worked while they all played. And you, you lay awake at night and scheme of all the things that you would change, but it was just a dream. I love like the boxing bells right at the end of that, you know? It's like, 
for, for those of you that are new, welcome. My name is Kevin Valentine. I'm the lead pastor here. And um, just listening, having your, tune, your ear kind of tuned into the culture and where we're at right now, we are kind of reaching a feverish pitch when it comes to politics right now, aren't we? We are 16 days away in our 58th presidential election. Isn't that crazy? We've only had 58 of these in the entire history of our nation. Uh, But last week, we began a three-part series that may make us uncomfortable, but I believe it will make us better. Um, I usually stay far, 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 far away from politics um, in church. I mean, like way away. Um, But with the current state of our discourse um, right now, I believe that we need to speak into it, that the church needs to be speaking into it, Um, not as a way for you to choose a side or to help you choose a side. Last week, we were very clear that if you are here for Republican church, you are in the wrong place. And if you are here for Democrat church, you're in the wrong place. But if you're here for God, you are actually in the right place. And while it seems that we are more divided than we ever have been, um, there are a majority of Americans that are really on the same page in a large range of topics. Um, And just to put that in perspective, we're going to play a little game, kind of an illustration. It's kind of a participatory illustration where I'm going to ask you some questions, and I'm going to ask you, if you agree with what I say, I'm going to ask you to stand up. Just as a way for us to kind of go, hey, guess what? We are more alike than we are different. And this is for everyone in the room. Um, And so we're going to kind of get a quad workout. So this is your COVID quad workout today, okay? We're going to get our hearts going a little bit. But here is where I want to start with. And this is just your your, one of the first couple I'll sit down to because I want to play. So stand up if, you got to think about your uh, morning habits this morning. Um, Stand up if you brush your teeth first thing in the morning before you have coffee or you eat breakfast. Stand up if that's you. All right, the rest of you, how do you live with yourselves for that hour or so? Okay, everybody, everybody, have a seat, have a seat. Okay, this one, you got to think a little bit. Um, Stand up if in the morning when you're putting on your socks and shoes, you go sock, sock, shoe, shoe. Okay, if you go sock, sock, shoe, shoe, stand up. Okay, okay, the rest of you, do you go sock, shoe, sock, shoe? Because that's really weird. Okay, all right, go ahead, have a seat, have a seat. Um, All right, stand up if you want the best for yourself and for your family. So stand up if you want the best for yourself and for your family. All right, good, yeah, good, right right answer. Go ahead and have a seat. Yes, we're a little Catholic this morning. That's okay, this isn't normal. Um, uh, Stand up if you think human life is valuable. Just stand up if you think human life is valuable. Absolutely it is. Yes, absolutely. Okay, go ahead and have a seat. All right. Got to think through some of your habits again. Um, Stand up if you check your phone in the morning before or while you go to the bathroom that first time in the morning. You check your phone before or during you going to the bathroom. Okay, the rest of you are patient people. Good job. You guys can like, all right, I can put that off for just a little bit. Um, All right, stand up if you think everyone should have an equal opportunity to succeed in their life. Absolutely, right? Everyone should have an equal opportunity to succeed. Okay, go ahead and have a seat. This is an important one. This next one's super important. Stand up if you think it's okay to eat cookie dough. Yeah. Yes, right? Heck yeah. You know what's funny? My wife, you guys can go ahead and have a seat. I'm just going to explain this one. My wife, like, she will, like, get so mad at me when I grab cookie dough before it's cooked. And then last service, she stands up. And I'm like, I'm holding you to that. All right? Next time. All right. Stand up if... You think it's important to vote and have your voice heard. Yeah, absolutely. It's important to do that. Thank you for standing. All right, go ahead. Have a seat. Stand up. Again, this quad workout. Stand up if you think community is important. Yeah, community is important. Absolutely. All right, go ahead and have a seat. Um, I I see you guys over there. You're not sitting down. I I think you're kind of like, you need to get the workout. Trust me, this is for your benefit. All right. Stand up. Stand up, this is again personal habits, personal like what, what you do, think through. Um, stand up if you prefer to fold your toilet paper instead of crinkle it. Stand up if you prefer to fold your toilet paper instead of crinkle it. All right, now the rest of you, you guys need to be more environmentally friendly. You know how much you waste when you crinkle? All right, go ahead and have a seat. And I, how many of you just are like, I'm not answering that question, I'm just kidding. Um, all right. Stand up if you are rooting against the Green Bay Packers or New England Patriots today. My people, yes, okay, there's a few of us. That's okay, there's a few of us, but thank you for that. All right, two more, two more. All right, stand up 
This, is, this one might ruffle a few feathers. Stand up if you think all media is biased. Stand up if you think all media is biased. All right? And I'll just say this. How can it not be? Because we are all biased no matter how much you say you're not. Last one. Stand up if you believe politics have become too divisive in our country. I think a lot of us can agree on that because it's like, it is like vitriol out there right now. And I'll just, I'll just say this, um, as people, we agree on so many things, but politics have just become so much more and more divisive. And I showed this chart this last week, uh, but in 2017, they did a study. And on most things besides politics, we have pretty similar views in America, but on politics, look at the divide. In fact, I think, that was three years ago, I think if you were to do this study today, I think that it would be far, far greater. And I'll tell you, I became painfully aware of this divide in politics during the 2016 um, presidential election. You know, like many of you, I, I, like, I was shocked that Trump actually won the election. Um, you know, it's just like, wow, I can't believe that just happened. And I'm with a group of Christians that call Kensington home, and I just happened to make an offhanded joke, um, you know, just making light of our politics, like in general politics and making fun of our political system just to kind of get a cheap laugh, right? I'm, like, I'm a quantity over quality guy. I'll just throw a bunch of stuff out there and I'll just go for the laugh. And so I do that expecting a laugh. The only problem was nobody laughed. Like it was like dead silence in the room. It was like I kicked their cat or something, which to me is a good thing. But to them, obviously it was not. It became very apparent to me that politics in this certain group of people that I was, I was with at the time um, was no laughing matter because that election was of dire consequences to them. And they were in absolute despair over the results. And I'll just tell you, politics in the 2016 election seemed to change, in my opinion, from just watching what's happened, especially from then to now, from something that we could joke about across the aisle to right versus wrong and good versus evil. Like that's the way the, the, the language has changed. Even in the, in the church, there was division, not the kind of division that it was, okay, let's agree to disagree. It was, you're wrong, and we're done being friends. Like, it just shifted about four years ago. And maybe before that, it was kind of starting, but it seems like the last four years, it has become, wow. It's the first time in 2016 that I remember in 25 years in ministry hearing from all over people leaving their church over an election leaving their spiritual community over disagreements politically. We had families leave this church because they had interactions with other church members telling them that their view was wrong and that they were bad people. That actually happened after the 2016 election. Politics have become more and more intense as our opposing ideologies have become more about blaming and shaming the other side. But just to put it in perspective, over the lifespan of our country, the political divide has always been rife with tons of vitriol on both sides. And just in case you think things are lower than they've ever been, because we say a lot of things like this is the most in all of history, just in case you think that this is the lowest things have ever gotten, um, and that the discourse has gotten way out of hand, I want to read you some of the rhetoric from the 1800 election. This is fascinating to me. In the 1800 election between Thomas Jefferson and John Adams, um, Jefferson said, quoted in newspaper, that if Adams was elected, then murder, robbery, rape, adultery, and incest will be openly taught and practiced. The air will be rent with the cries of the distress. The soil will be soaked with blood and the nation full of crimes. Like that's what he said He's, it's in, in the news. Adams said, if Jefferson is elected, we will see our wives and daughters the victims of legal prostitution. Like, that's what he said will happen. And that was the last election in our country, go figure, last election in our country where the loser became the vice president. <laughs> that's what happened. Could you imagine that today? Like, if Biden won, Trump would be the VP. Or if Trump won, Biden would be the VP. It's like every day they would wear a T-shirt that says, I'm with stupid, pointing at the next guy, you know? That's just what they would do. In the election that saw Abraham Lincoln become president, no less nasty, um, one new source printed that Abraham Lincoln was the leanest, lankest, most ungainly mass of legs and arms and hatchet face on, uh, ever strung on a human frame. 
a horrid-looking wretch, sooty and scoundrelly in aspect, a cross between the nutmeg dealer, the horse swapper, and the nightman. Ooh, like they really got him there. An Alabama paper proposed a motto, resistance to Lincoln is obedience to God. Okay, they're bringing religion into politics. And then after Lincoln's death, a Texas newspaper wrote this, a gleam of light on a winter's day could there have been a fitter death for such a man. It is certainly a matter of congratulation that Lincoln is dead because the world is happily rid of a monster that disgraced the form of humanity. We've always been divided over politics. I just think we now see it coming at us from all directions because it's 24-7. With this 24-hour news cycle, you hear it every day in every way. But it's always been there. In recent years, Twitter has become a mouthpiece for politicians. It's ratcheted up the back and forth and divisiveness about what might happen if the other side wins. I mean, that's really what's going on. If they win, here's a list of things that are going to happen, which proves the point. Nothing divides like politics because nothing divides like fear. And that's what's happening right now. You can raise a lot of money peddling fear, can't you? Like, we will pay a lot for our security and our safety. Republicans trying to take away your vote. Democrats trying to take away your guns. Fear, fear, fear. If the white supremacist, uh, supremacist president is reelected, it's the end of the world. If the socialist Democrat is elected, it's the end of the world as we know it. Both sides are peddling fear right now. They're scaring up the vote. Daily outrage. Daily lies about how bad it will be if the other side is elected. Some of them are grounded in reality. Some of them are very far-fetched and wrong, but they are designed to make you and I afraid, because nothing divides like fear. Now, what do we fear? Loss. We fear loss, loss of control, loss of opportunity, loss of wealth, loss of our culture, our freedoms, our progress. Uh, but we're in this time in the country where everyone's peddling fear, and if we're not careful, we will fall victim to the fear that is being peddled our way. If we're not careful, we'll become divided by our fear of what might happen or the losses involved if the other side wins. And I'm telling you, you've heard it. You might have even said it. Never thought it. Well, here's what we, the church, have the opportunity to do. We have the opportunity to stay above the fray. We have the uh, unprecedented opportunity to model for our community and our country what it looks like to do two things at the same time, and they can both be done at the same time. One is disagree politically and love unconditionally. You can do both at the same time. If there's one thing that I would implore you to do right now is disagree politically because it's okay to do that, but make sure that you're loving unconditionally. And the question is, do you really want to do that? Can you do that? Where you're not just tolerating, where, where you're not being nice, but with a big eye roll. And, and more to the point of this series, are you willing to evaluate your politics through the filter of your faith rather than create a version of your faith that supports your politics. Because I see a lot of people right now taking their faith and twisting it to fit their politics when really, no, we're supposed to view politics through our filter of faith. Most Christians aren't willing to do that right now. Most of us, we follow in the footsteps of Jonah in the Old Testament. Jonah, um, he was a prophet. He was someone that God would speak to. Um, and then in turn, he would go speak to people for God. That's what prophets did. Well, God tells Jonah, um, he, says, he says, Jonah, you need to go to a place called Nineveh and you need to tell them that God's wrath is coming and they need to repent or they're going to be destroyed. And so Jonah gets this message from God and rather than go to Nineveh, he goes the exact opposite way, hops on a ship going to Tarshish, um, uh, 180 degrees from where God wants him to go. Suddenly, the ship gets out into the ocean and uh, this huge storm comes up. The ship is breaking apart. They don't know why this storm has hit them so fast. So they draw lots to find out who the problem is. And of course, it falls to Jonah. And Jonah says, all right, it's me. You need to throw me overboard. But they're nice fishermen and they're like, well, we can't throw you overboard. So they throw everything else overboard but Jonah, but the storm gets worse. The ship is about to go down. It's starting to break apart. And they finally realize, okay, we've got to try throwing Jonah overboard. And so they throw Jonah overboard. Immediately the storm stops. And the Bible says that God caused a large fish, most probably a whale, to come and, and uh, basically swallow Jonah. And Jonah spends three days in the belly of the whale. And after three days, he can't take it anymore because he's sick of the fish smell. Um, and then he repents. 
He says, okay, God, I will do what you have told me to do. And the fish, fish spits him out. And then Jonah goes to Nineveh and says, unless you turn from your ways, in 40 days, you're going to be destroyed. And of course, the city hears the message and actually turns from its wicked way, and God does not destroy the city. And this is Jonah's response. This is in chapter 4. Okay, you got three chapters of this story, and it's not until chapter 4 you understand Jonah's motivations. And here's what he says in chapter 4 of Jonah, verse 1. He says, this change of plans greatly upset Jonah, and he became very angry. So he complained to the Lord about it. Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? That's why I ran away to Tarshish. I knew that you're a merciful and compassionate God, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. You're eager to turn back from destroying people. So just kill me now, Lord. I'd rather be dead than alive if what I predicted will not happen. And this is what Jonah's saying. He's like, I knew it. I knew you were nice. I knew you were merciful. I knew you were Mr. Compassionate God. And here's why we find out why he ran. Because Jonah knew God well enough to know that if they turned, he would be merciful and compassionate to a whole group of people that Jonah hated. He hated them. Jonah is so full of gall about them. He disagrees with their religion, their way of life, their beliefs, their sin. He is so against them that after God saves the city, Jonah actually says, I'd rather be dead than see this happen. See, Jonah's dislike and disdain, which had grown into hate, had Jonah hoping for their downfall, hoping for God to not be merciful, hoping for their destruction. And I will just say this, some of us through our politics and disagreement with the other side are on the road to becoming like Jonah. And I hear it and I see it. We are hoping for the other side's downfall. We are hoping for God to put them in their place. We are hoping for God to teach them a lesson, make them pay for the way that they view the world and what they're doing, because surely God is against them. We might even be hoping for the destruction of their party, their group, their livelihood as a form of punishment from God. Well, God responds to Jonah and says, Jonah, you're missing the point here. In fact, you're missing the most important thing, Jonah, verse 11. Nineveh has more than 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness, not to mention the animals. And I don't know what the animals is all about. But he says, shouldn't I feel sorry for such a great city? See, Jonah had forgotten something that I think we forget. That whoever you disagree with, whoever you don't like, whoever you put in that other category, they need Jesus as much as you do. They just do. God says to Jonah, shouldn't I have compassion on them? Shouldn't I give them the opportunity to repent, to come alive spiritually? Jonah, their salvation matters. Because that's what God cares most about. His highest priority is the salvation of Nineveh. And so if we want to capture the heart of God in our politics, we must get to the place where we disagree politically, but we love unconditionally, just like God loved the Ninevites. God loves Democrats. God loves Republicans. God loves all of us, and until we get to the place where we can disagree politically and love unconditionally, we are really um, headed towards division, even from people inside the church. Now, apparently, Jesus saw this coming, not the election, but the division from people in the church. And John records Jesus' prayer right before Jesus is arrested, and this is what we're calling this morning the forgotten prayer. Because it's a prayer that I don't think very many of us know about and very many of us pray but I think if we do pray it, it'll start to change things. Jesus actually, in this prayer, prays for you and me. And this is what's fascinating. It doesn't matter if you believe in Jesus or not. You need to know that it is recorded multiple times in Scripture in, uh, in 2,000 years ago that Jesus actually prayed for you. Whether you believe in him or not, he was praying for you 2,000 years ago. And in John 17, verse 1, we have this forgotten prayer, Father... So Jesus praying, the hour is come, glorify your son that your son may glorify you. The hour in which um, God was most glorified. And that's when the arrest, torture, crucifixion of Jesus, God in the flesh, we would have been most horrified. We would have turned our head away. It was the most glorifying hour of Jesus's life. 
Verse 11, he says, I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I'm coming to you. Now they are his disciples and his followers. And what's next is amazing. Um, most Christians don't know this, but Jesus actually made a prayer request. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name that you gave me so that, there's a purpose clause here, protect them so that, protect them to what end? Um, protect them from what? Well, we know they would get arrested and beaten and many of them were martyred. We're thinking, you know, maybe, of course, God was praying, Jesus was praying about protecting them from that. No, that's not what he's praying protection for, for them for. Protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be, this is his one prayer request for his first century followers, so that they may be, here's what he wanted protected from, so that they may be one as we are one. He's like, God, protect their unity. Protect their oneness. And then he flips it and he prays for you and me in verse 20. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That's you. That's me. If you believe in Jesus, Jesus is praying for you right now. Those who will believe in me through their message. And what does he pray for? Not what you and I pray for or what we would pray for. I doubt many of us have ever asked God for what Jesus asked God for. And this may explain part of the problem that we're experiencing in the church and outside of the church. He says, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message that all of them in the first century, Jews, Gentiles, Romans, Samaritans, women, slaves, freedmen, soldiers, tax collectors, educated, wealthy and unwealthy, first century, 21st century, all people, all of them, brown, black, white, rich, middle-class, single, married, privileged, Republican, Democrat, independent, indecisive, liberal, conservative, young, old, that all of them may be one that they may be one. Now, this sounds impossible. There's no way we can be one, yet Jesus was convinced that for the sake of his mission, this was not impossible. This was imperative. So we should be intentional about making this a reality, especially in the church. Intentional means it doesn't come naturally. That's why Jesus was praying for it. He didn't say, just keep them doing what they're doing, God. He's like, no, we're going to protect them because unity is going to be hard. Unity is going to be difficult. Continues verse 21, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us. So that, and I love this, he didn't pray so that we would get along. In fact, what he prayed doesn't even have to do with us. So that the world, people outside of faith with different worldviews, people that roll their eyes and drive on by at all those, those people that follow Jesus so that the world may believe, may be convinced that you have sent me. That's why he wants us to be unified. So the world may believe that God sent Jesus. Jesus is making sure that our mission to save the world through the message of Jesus is front and center at all times. The number one mission we have been given by God is an outward focus towards people who don't know Jesus. And Jesus is saying, God, make them unified so the world will believe in me. You know how you do that? Disagreeing politically and loving unconditionally by doing both at the same time. Jesus speaking to his disciples, he says, as I have loved you, self-sacrificing, others-focused, giving type of love as I have loved you, so you must love one another. Jesus is reminding, it's not about you. Remember that, it's not about you. It's not about us, it's his mission through us. And by this, when you love one another, by this, everyone outside of the faith in it and, and in it will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. He's saying that to his disciples, back to his prayer in John 17. Verse 22, I have given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me so that they may be brought to complete, what's that word, say it loud? Unity. Why? Again, then the world, outward focus, will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Jesus prayed for our unity in light of the mission, in light of the mission divided, we're not going to go anywhere reaching people for the gospel. Anywhere. But when we keep the main thing the main thing, what might God do through a people called his children who disagree politically but love unconditionally? That is my hope for, for us. That is my prayer for us. 
Have your opinion and disagree on policy and politics. Be engaged in politics. Vote. Make your voice heard. But love each other unconditionally with Jesus' love. It's a self-sacrificing love. It's a love that says, I am for you before I am for me. I am for your side before I am for my side. That is the love of Jesus. He's like, I will sacrifice my life for you. What was at stake then is the same thing that's at stake now. The world knowing Jesus. By our love, our unity in that love, in that, in that love, Jesus hoped and prayed that the world would see him through that. And I'll tell you, that is on you to create and that is on me to create, to put aside our politics and love each other. Love those around us so much that the world would see who? Jesus. Because we're Christ's ambassadors, where people would go, I don't agree with you one lick on politics, but gosh, I love being around you. I, I can't believe you believe what you believe. But man, the way you love me just makes me want to be around you any chance I get. Politically, we could not be more different, but I love you like a brother because of the way that you love me. Do you realize how attractive that is in today's day and age because so few are willing to do that? Disagree politically, but love unconditionally? I know Christians, people that love Jesus, that for the sake of an argument on politics are willing to forfeit the opportunity to reach somebody for Christ because they have to take a stand. I know people, Christians, that for the sake of making a statement politically online are willing to cut their opportunity to reach someone else for Christ in half, alienating half of the population because they have to make a stand online. That's what happens the moment you put something that is politically charged that make it absolutely clear exactly where you stand and putting down the other side, you cut your ability to reach somebody for Christ, your primary mission, in half. Politics is not your Christian duty. Loving people like Jesus is. That is your primary directive as a follower of Christ. Does that mean you can't talk politics? No, talk politics. Does that mean you can't be involved in politics? No. Go right ahead. Just remember the forgotten prayer. Jesus prayed for our unity so that people would know that it was him that God sent into the world to pay for their sins. You can be involved politically in love unconditionally. Filter your politics through your faith. Before you hit that publish on Facebook, before you hit that publish or uh, the little arrow thing on Instagram, before you do that, filter what you're forwarding, what you're agreeing with, what you're retweeting through the filter of your faith. And say, okay, is this a wise thing to do? Am I going to alienate half of the people that are in my audience from the message of Jesus Christ, because that's what's primary, that's what's important. After the resurrection of Jesus, the church launched, and here's how the church launched. With one purpose, to make disciples of all nations, one mission, Jesus is the Messiah King, came to reverse the order of things. He died for his subjects in order to create an on-ramp to the Father into heaven. He gave up his rights, gave up his life to pay for other people's sin, and we live under one command, to love one another as Jesus loved you. And I'll just say this, your candidate will win or lose based on how everyone votes on November 3rd, but the church will win or lose based on your behavior every day from now until then and beyond. That is how the church will win or lose. So we've got to fight against anything dividing us definitely not politics. We can't let anyone divide us because I'll divide us. And I'll just, I'll just say this, all of this world will pass away one day, except for Jesus and his kingdom and his followers. That will remain. So I want to just take a moment. I want to talk directly to those of you that are followers of Jesus. If you're not a follower of Jesus right now, hey, don't tune out, listen in, because I, I want to speak to a group of people that I hope you become a part of soon. But if you're a follower of Jesus and you're listening today online or in this room, let me just tell you, you are first and foremost a citizen of heaven. First and foremost, you are a citizen of heaven. You serve the King of all kings and the Lord of all lords who sacrificed his son Jesus on the cross because he loved you so much, and then you're a citizen of this country. First and foremost, you are a citizen of heaven. Secondly, you're a citizen of this country. And I'll just talk to you about our country throughout our very short history as a nation. Both of our current parties have gotten it wrong. Both of them. In fact, you could look back over the last 100, 150 years, and they've kind of switched sides in some ways. Both of our parties have gotten it wrong. During our short history, political leaders from both parties have fallen short morally and fallen short in their leadership. 
During our short history, several parties have turned the lights out because the party was over, pun intended. So why? As followers of the eternal king, would we allow ourselves to be divided by temporary elected officials? Why would we allow that to happen? Why would we allow a political view, a political ideology that we might outgrow or abandon altogether, why would we let that divide us from a living, breathing person that Jesus died on the cross for? Why wouldn't we fight for and struggle for and sacrifice for the unity that our king prayed for, for all of us? That's worth fighting for. That's worth talking about. That's worth loving unconditionally in such a way that people will know that Jesus was who he said he was. So the question is, what do we do? What do we do? How do we move forward? What do we do for the next two weeks till this election? And what do we do afterwards? The first thing is this, pray for oneness. Pray for unity. And I just want to ask you, would you join me in praying for what Jesus prayed for? Heavenly Father, make us one so we can influence many. Father, make us one. Make us unified. Help us disagree politically and love unconditionally so that we might influence many. Pray for the local church and for the, the, the big C church. Pray for unity in our country. Would you join me for the next two weeks and beyond just praying for you? This forgotten prayer that we forget Jesus prayed for all of us. Would you pray that with me daily for unity? And then the second thing is look for an opportunity to love unconditionally someone with who you disagree politically. And I tell you, it's tough sometimes, isn't it? We don't have to offend each other with our smile, with our tone, with our verbiage. We can actually love. In fact, I went to a, a conference many, many years ago, and one of my favorite speakers, his name is Andy Stanley. Um, in fact, some of the thoughts from today are kind of from him. Um, he put out some just thoughts politically, and I'm like, man, I really resonate with those because it's important that the church talk about this. But in this conference, he was just talking about love. And the big question he said, he's like, look, politically, um, in life, socioeconomic, racially, what's the question that we as followers of Jesus need to be asking is what does love require of me? What does love require of me? When you get in those conversations where you know, boy, someone just dropped a bomb, tensions go high, and you're unsure what to say next, ask the question, what does love require of me right now? Because it might require you keep your mouth shut and love. It might require you to back off of the party line, create a little bit of distance in order to love. It might require you to listen and not point for point, tit for tat. It might require you to step into a conversation that's just difficult to have because you might not understand all the points. You might not understand where someone else is coming from. It might require you to evaluate your politics through the lens of your faith. And Jesus is the answer, not a party. It might require you to value people over politics. And to put that to the side and just take somebody out to dinner, take somebody out to grab a drink, buy some groceries, take care of your neighbor that doesn't agree with you. And that may be harder than it normally is right now. But if we will do it as the church, I think our light will shine brighter than it normally does. And that's the mission. It's to be a light on a hill, a light in the darkness, where the world is looking to politics for hope, it's looking to their party for hope, it's looking to politicians for hope for themselves and for their children. We can be the light in the darkness saying, the hope is actually Jesus that you're looking for. The future you want in heaven is through him. Politics are temporary. Politics never saved anyone, but Jesus does and Jesus can. So what do we do? We disagree politically. We love unconditionally. And we pray from the bottom of our hearts for unity, just for unity. And the best way I know how to love other people unconditionally is to be loved unconditionally by our Heavenly Father. 
You can't give people something that you don't have. And when you begin a relationship with Jesus and you're loved unconditionally, you then can actually love other people unconditionally. You can actually love through politics. What? You can just unconditionally say, I don't care what you believe. I love you. Jesus died for you. Therefore, you're important to me. Period. Done. Not if. No buts. And so for some of you, the unity that you need today is unity with God. You need unity with God. If you have never made peace with God in your life, if you've never asked Jesus to forgive you of your sins, and you've never believed and accepted the reality that God loves you so much, he died for you on the cross so that you might find freedom from your sins and unity with God, your next step spiritually is inviting Jesus into your heart to bring peace between you and God. That's the only way we find peace on a soul level is through Jesus, it's through the forgiveness of our sins. When you surrender your heart to God through Jesus, that peace with God leads to peace with everybody else. When you have peace with God, which only comes through a relationship with Jesus, you can then start to have peace with everybody in your life. And I'm telling you, that is the place that Christians need to live. So if you're ready to begin a relationship with God through Jesus, I want to just take a moment. We're going to kind of close the message portion of our service in prayer. And I want to invite you to pray with me if you're ready to surrender your life right now. So would everybody in the room, would you, and online, would you just bow your head and close your eyes with me right now as we pray? And I just want to say if today is your day and you're ready to step across that line of faith, I want to invite you to just pray with me. And just make my words yours. There's nothing um, magical about the words. It more is the posture of your heart surrendering to God and inviting Jesus into your life. That creates peace between you and God as your sins are forgiven. So if you're ready to do that today, and today is your day, I want to invite you to pray with me right now out of the quietness of your heart. You can borrow my words. Father God, please forgive me. I have come to a crossroads in my life and I choose your path. I believe you love me. I believe that you sent your son Jesus to earth to die on the cross for my sin. And through believing in him, I can have peace with you. So this morning, I declare that I believe in Jesus. And I invite you, Jesus, into my life to be my Lord and Savior. I surrender my life to you. And for the rest of us, God, give us supernatural grace and mercy for those we disagree with politically so that we can love them unconditionally. Help us disagree while honoring one another. Policy isn't going to save a single soul, but unconditional love is like an oasis of pure, clean water in the desert of humanity. So God, help us lead the way as your people, as your church, shining your light into the darkness of our fallen world. In your holy name, amen. Now, during our worship time, we want to put this into practice this praying for unity. And I've asked a couple of our elders, Scott Tanner and Bill Malott, to pray for unity in our country and pray for unity in our churches, um, the Big C Church and the Little C Church. And so as we begin our worship time in prayer, I want to invite you to stand. Um, please stand, stand with me in reverence as we pray and then enter into worship where we are just going to sing songs of praise to this King that has called us to unity as we follow him. Morning, or should I say good afternoon? Will you please bow your heads and join me in prayer? Dear Heavenly Father, we humbly bow our heads before you today. We thank you for this great nation, the United States of America. You have blessed us in so many ways. We are so thankful for our freedoms and religious liberties. But today we bring before you the many issues that divide us racial and political issues that keep us fighting each other. On the racial issues that divide us, we know the truth proclaimed in your word that we are all created in your image. Remove the walls that divide us, dear God. Change our behavior and make us united as one. 
protect us from the dark forces that sow division among us and help us to unite over what we have in common rather than how we differ. We ask that you would help us live a life of love that is only possible through the power of the Spirit. And as God's people, we pray for unity and peace with one another, standing as one people against all racial and ethnic divisions, denouncing it as sin and not God's will for us. And for our leaders, we pray that our leaders in government and business would seek your counsel in their decisions. We pray for discernment and that you would provide them with the wisdom to lead our nation and secure peaceful lives for our citizens. May you bring unity and prosperity to this country and may the country turn to you for hope and for forgiveness. Remind us that we do not serve a human purpose. We serve you and help us to look to the greater purpose in life to honor Christ as our King. Jesus, we thank you that you have made us one. Let a spirit of unity be poured out upon this nation, bringing renewal to our land. And Father, let your Holy Spirit dominate every area of our government, our churches, our schools, and our homes. Help us as believers to walk in love and unity together so that all may see that we are one and know the power of the one true living God. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. People come together, strangers neighbors, our blood is one.
Would you pray with me as we pray for God's people and for his church? Let your hearts connect with God as we, as we pray. Father, we come to you today in the powerful name of Jesus. And Jesus, you gave us a new commandment to love one another as you loved us. You told us that all men would know that we are your disciples if we love one another. And Father, even as Jesus prayed, he prayed, I and them and you and me so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, we, we want to show the world that you sent Jesus and how we have learned to love one another in complete unity. May the things that divide us pale in significance to the love and mercy that unites us. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would descend upon this church in a way that would heal any divisions and that your spirit of love and grace would be so obvious that the world would take notice of the unity and the love that we have for one another. As far as it depends on us, Lord, may we live at peace with everyone. In the name of Jesus, we ask these things. Amen.
just a reminder that there will be a day where we will all sing in unison with one God and one King. Division will be a long thing of the past. And just in case you're sitting there thinking, man, I don't think he came my way far enough or he wasn't against the other side enough. And I don't know what I think about this. Long ago, I heard something that has resonated with me since then. And we're talking decades. And it's something that I have um, led our church to be. And that is this, when it comes to stances on issues where we want to line up as a church is we want to be in a place where we're getting rocks thrown at us from both sides. Because we're not on any side. We're on God's side. We're on Jesus' side, and we will always be there as long as I lead this church. And so if you're a little offended, I think that's okay. Might even be a good thing. Because hopefully we're offended for the right reason, because Jesus is trying to get a hold of us and get a hold of our hearts and bring us to his side, which is where we need to live and where we need to stay. And so next week, I really do hope that you will come back because this discussion that we're having over this series is so important to us as individuals and us as a community in our community, in our neighborhoods. And I hope that you'll bring some people with you that, that, that might be, you know what, it's okay if they're totally political because God can still get a hold of their heart. And God can still use you to get a hold of their heart. And so I would love for you to just invite and bring people along with you so that we can have this conversation. Um, in fact, next week, you're going to meet a very, very dear friend of mine that is unbelievably wise that I can't wait for you to meet um, for part of the service. We're going to talk together. And um, I think you're going to be blessed by next week more than the first two weeks. I really do believe that because of the message that God has for us next week. So come back and experience that. Now, the last thing I have for you is we're doing something today um, called Discovering Kensington. If you are new here, newer here and you would like to know a little bit about our mission, our vision, our values, our strategy, um, I would love to meet you and uh, I'd love to talk to you about that and also have a little Q&A with you. And so um, if you would like to be a part of Discovering Kensington, which is just kind of a meet and greet with me and, and some of other of our staff and hear a little bit about why we do what we do and who we are, um, meet me in the lobby or meet Shay in the lobby as well. She'll be out there. Me or Shay will meet you in the lobby and then we've got a room off to the side that we're just going to spend 15 minutes talking together. So so with that, you guys, we're going to release from the back row, the back of the house out, and then the back rows all the way forward like a wedding. And I just want to thank you for being here, and I will see you back here next week. Take care.